Dr. Luis Sandoval is accomplished in the fields of mental health and spiritual warfare. A medical doctor, board certified in neurology, psychiatry, and family medicine, he is also a psychiatrist for the Roman Catholic Diocese of Orange, Ministry of Healing and Deliverance. Now, Dr. Luis Sandoval. Good morning, uh, Virgin Most Powerful Radio family. Always a pleasure to be here and welcome to the clinic. Um, let's start today with a prayer. I realize I hadn't done that in a few shows, and it's always important to start with prayer as our primary treatment for everything, uh, all things physical, mental, and spiritual, obviously. So today, why don't we start uh, in honor of Our Lady with a Hail Mary. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Virgin Most Powerful, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Today I wanted to talk about a uh, psychiatric condition that has come up lately, uh, both in the news uh, and in clinic, obviously, since it's been in the news and in the media. I've had more and more patients ask me uh, about bipolar disorder. And they want to know, what is bipolar disorder? How do I know if I have it? Because half the time as they hear different things on the news and different things about either celebrities uh, openly stating that they are dealing with bipolar disorder or their family members discussing bipolar disorder, it really brings up a lot of questions because we start to see different symptoms and different uh, um, really characteristics of a person. And that's one of the things that we worry about with mental illness is, well, what's going on with the person? What's going on in their mind? And when we hear the term bipolar disorder, it can be pretty frightening. It can be pretty scary. And we wonder, well, what does this mean? Because it seems like once somebody's been diagnosed with bipolar disorder and we look at the symptoms that they're exhibiting, it seems like they're out of control. And I think a lot of people get really scared about being diagnosed with this and then thinking, well, what's going to happen to me if I get diagnosed with this? How do I, how do I take care of it? Am I going to be out of control? And what's going on? So let's take a few steps back. Let's take a look at what happens in clinic. What happens when somebody comes in and they want to be diagnosed or they or we evaluate them and we go through different criteria um, and we give them a diagnosis of bipolar disorder? It's important to note this because especially in our spiritual, spiritual lives, we start to look at what these symptoms are and a lot of people worry that this could be demonic possession. And they come in and they say, I think I'm being possessed by something or something's really attacking me. And it can look very, very similar. And this is probably one of the more challenging things to decipher between is, as I'm evaluating somebody, say, whether it be for medical treatment, for psychiatric treatment, or if I'm doing an evaluation for spiritual treatment, you know, it's, it's very important to distinguish, is this person really experiencing something that we can treat medically, or is this more of a spiritual uh, type of affliction? So let's take a look at bipolar disorder and what it really is. So there's been a few terms in the past, we used to call it manic depression um, because of the swings, and now we call it bipolar disorder. So obviously bipolar, two poles, and what are these two poles that we're talking about? So these poles are, people can have what we call a manic episode, um, or they can have a depressive episode. And so the manic episodes, let's talk a little bit about what that looks like, and I took down some notes here so that we can look at how do we actually diagnose this. So this is a diagnosis based on what we call the DSM version 5 or the Diagnostic Statistic Manual. Uh, and this is what psychiatrists use, is what we use in clinic to look at the different symptoms and the different criteria. And so let's talk about what a manic episode looks like. A manic episode really is somebody who 
they have a lot of energy. Their thought process is going fast. Um, they're, they're really out of control in their mind during these episodes. And let's talk about these symptoms a little bit. So one of them is an inflated self-esteem or grandiosity. And what this means is that the person feels so important. They feel like all of a sudden they are just really, you know, greater than life. They feel like they don't even, um, they, like they can fly. They, they're not in the present moment. They feel like they are just on top of everything. Um, and it's a really good feeling for them at that time. So one of the challenging parts there is that if somebody's really feeling elated, elevated, and like they're really on top of the world, why would they want to get rid of that? You know, why would they want to stop feeling that? They feel like they can go on and, and conquer everything. It's really a caricature of themselves at that point. The challenging part there is that the medication that we use to treat that will actually get rid of that, that feeling, that emotion. Um, and that can be hard for some people because they say, actually, if I don't take the medication, I'm going to feel really good. So, but the challenging part there is that along with that good feeling come other things. And let's take a look at that. So they also have, with this much energy, a decreased need for sleep. During a manic episode, the decreased need for sleep is not such that some people say, oh, I think, I think I'm bipolar because I can't sleep. I toss and turn in bed. I'm trying to get to bed. I, ca I can't close my, I close my eyes and, and my body just won't go to rest. I'm, I'm not able to sleep. That's very, very different than a decreased need for sleep. A decreased need for sleep means somebody can sleep two, three hours, and then they're fully energized, they're ready to go to the next day, they really don't feel like they need to rest anymore, and their system is on the go with the same perhaps inflated uh, image or a lot of energy. Um, another thing that happens with this manic episode, again, we're kind of in a high gear, so you get a lot of increased talkativeness. A person can talk a lot and just they keep talking and talking and talking to the point where their friends or family members tell them, boy, you really slow down. I, I can't keep track of what you're saying. And then on top of that, on top of the talking too uh, um, quickly, they have what we call racing thoughts. So the conversation might start off with, it's a beautiful day and it's sunny, and it might end with something going on in Africa because they went from the sun to a vacation that they took to how they enjoyed Europe and how Europe was close to Africa and how they're thinking about visiting Africa next. And it's really hard to follow the conversation. Um, so we call that uh, uh, racing. They're having racing thoughts and they're having, they're easily distracted. And so one of these things is as they're having these racing thoughts, increased talkativeness, increased energy, they really don't know what's going on. Um, they think that they're fine. They think that their thought process is okay. And they're really more concerned the, with the fact that nobody can keep up with them and they wonder what's wrong with everybody else. They also have increased goal-directed activity or psychomotor agitation. And so that means that they're just on the go. They, they can't really stop their bodies much. Um, and lastly, uh, well, two, two very important things. One of them is with all this energy and all this moving around and, and um, talking fast and thinking fast, the person can start to engage in high-risk behavior being that they start to spend a lot of money on things they don't need. So sometimes a person, you know, everybody can say, well, geez, I went to the store and I bought some stuff and I, gosh, I shouldn't have spent that much money. But this is more of a situation where they're going to spend so much money that they're going to go into debt. They're going to buy three television sets, four pairs of shoes of the exact same type. Um, and the money is just really going to be spent and spent and spent um, really on things they don't need. And it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. 
the other thing that people can get into trouble with is they can start gambling and lose money that way. Or a lot of times, which is, can be very devastating to relationships, sometimes a person has an increased uh, uh, energy in terms of intimacy or of, of uh, wanting to have relations. And this is non-discriminatory. The mind is in a, in a situation that it feels more like an energy and they just need to release this energy. And so sometimes they'll have intimacy with just whoever comes next to the door. And that can be very challenging, especially if you're in a married relationship or something along those lines. And then all of a sudden you're going you're gonna to engage in this behavior the partner's not really going to understand. It is part of the illness, however. So those can be manic episodes. Now, you don't need to have all those characteristics in order to have this manic episode. Um, usually, if you have about three or more of those symptoms that I described, then that qualifies for a manic episode. You know, And it usually happens for at least, we say about at least four consecutive days, um, and it has to be present most of the day every day. That in and of itself qualifies as a manic episode. Interspersed with this manic episode, so the other pole of bipolar, is the depression. And the person will go through the same symptoms of depression that we see in, in most people who experience a, a major depressive disorder. So it's a lot easier sometimes to diagnose major depressive disorder, or that might be the first thing that we find is that somebody's depressed, and then all of a sudden a manic ep episode will manifest, and then that's how we know that they're bipolar. As far as the dep depressive disorder goes, we see the usual symptoms of depression, usually a depressed mood most of the day, a uh, loss of interest or, or pleasure in pretty much all the activities, really the opposite of a manic episode. Um, you can have really a person really feeling hopeless, uh, lack of energy, uh, usually feelings of worthlessness or guilt, you know, in contrast to the grandiosity and the importance of the manic episode. Um, a debilished, diminished ability to think, you can't concentrate, you can't focus on things. Um, and really what we worry about is with any depression, or any recurrent thoughts of death or potentially suicide that the person might be going through. Uh, we especially worry if there's a plan involved. And so this can be very, very tricky because we're trying to, dis to discern what's going on with this person as they're, uh, you know, they're having these moments of elation and energy and really goal-directed activity, and then all of a sudden interspersed with depression. This is what we call bipolar disorder. Uh, and there's different types of bipolar disorder. Sometimes we can say, gosh, I think I have a family member who's like that because they're just energized all the time and they, they have a lot of uh, spunk and, and they're really outgoing. It could be a personality trait. It doesn't have to be bipolar disorder. Um, other people can be very introverted and so we could confuse that with depression. And this is why it's important to really get a professional opinion and to really know exactly what's going on and what are we dealing with. The challenging part about bipolar disorder is that usually the family members or friends are the ones that are going to really know or notice these things happening before the person even realizes it. The person going through these experiences might not know or they might not uh, have an idea that they're really fluctuating through these things. Now, when it comes to bipolar disorder, there's different types. So one of them is bipolar disorder type 1. And in that case, we say that the person has a full-blown manic episode. And what that looks like is um, just really, really elated and usually ends up in the hospital. We're going to talk a little bit more about this when we come back. We're going to break down some bipolar type disorders, and then we're going to talk about treatment and how we're going to reach some levels of compassion.
Join VMPR live on YouTube September 12, 2020 for our latest free conference, The Ultimate Challenge. This exclusive virtual event will feature a brand new talk from Jesse Romero, How Apologetics Brought Me Back to Faith, plus never-before-broadcast video presentations from Dr. Scott Hahn, Father Mitch Pacwa, and the late, great Father Benedict Groeschel. Go to vmpr.org to register now and get ready to face the ultimate challenge. Help the Helpless, a Minnesota St. Paul nonprofit organization chaired by Father of Tear and volunteers is humbly asking you for your kind support to help the poor and the handicapped children in India and Ecuador. Through financial support from the help of the helpless benefactors, the children are provided with clothing, food, education, shelter, and the teachings of the Catholic Church. The mission is to help children thrive and become self-sufficient young adults leading productive lives. We also provide aid to poor families in Ecuador with food baskets, medicines, medical assistance, and help with funeral needs for the deceased. The work in India is done by Father Antonio's organization, St. Mary's. In Ecuador, the work is being done by the Servant Sisters of the Home of Mother. You can call us at 877-762-8857. To learn more, please visit our website, www.helpthehelpless.org. God bless you. This is Terry Barber. I want to thank you for your support here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Here's an easy way to do it. If you're going to sell or buy a house, call Real Estate for Life, 877-543-3871, because they're going to get you a Christ-centered agent to purchase your home or to sell your home. And at the close of escrow, a portion of his commission goes right back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Call 877-543-3871. Thank you so much for your support. Welcome back to the clinic, uh, Virgin Most Powerful Radio family. Always good to have you here. Um, today, we're talking about bipolar disorder, and we're going over how do we diagnose it and what does that mean. Um, we were talking a little bit about the difference in the manic symptoms and the depressive symptoms. And it's important to note that there are different types of bipolar disorder. So there's bipolar type 1 disorder. That's usually when somebody has a full-blown manic episode. Um, all those symptoms of mania that I described uh, are really out of control. They, they really don't even know what's going on to the point where they end up hospitalized. And that's how we know that they get into a manic bipolar type 1 disorder. Usually you have to have a hospitalization there. Um, a lot of times, like I said, usually depression can be the first symptom that we see in somebody who's uh, bipolar. And we start to treat the person with antidepressants. Unfortunately, if you get somebody an antidepressant and they have bipolar disorder, it can actually put them into a manic episode. Uh, it can actually cycle them, as we say. And so that's, uh, that's unfortunately sometimes how we find out. It's not because anybody made a mistake, but because until we find out that somebody does have the potential to be um, bipolar and have manic episodes, the correct treatment for depression is an antidepressant. But that's one way to find out. The other way is the person is having a manic episode and then we know, okay, this person probably suffers from bipolar disorder and they're going through manic depression. 
So that's one type, type one. Type two is when a person can experience some of this, but we say that they have a hypomanic episode. So sometimes they'll have some of those symptoms that are described as mania, but not to the point where they're going to be disruptive, not to the point where they're going to bother people. It's more, uh, they just kind of get elated and then they get, they can get irritable and they can really have a focused mind and, and be goal directed. Um, but not to the level where they're going to, uh, really bother people and end up needing to alert the authorities. So that's called bipolar type two or hypomania. You're also going to see something called cyclothymic disorder, uh, where the person can go between both depression and manic episodes and kind of be in a cyclical state. Um, that can happen, or the person can have what we call a mixed state where in one episode, they're having both symptoms of depression and anxiety. Now, a lot of times some of us can say, well, gee, sometimes I go through these things. But the real question is, are you able to function? Has your family ever told you that you're out of control or that they're really concerned about you because of how your mood is going back and forth? Those are some certain things to consider. It's important to distinguish between personality types and really a uh, mental disorder. So that's something to talk about. And once we, if we do identify that in a family member and if we can get them to treatment, there are different treatments out there for this. It's important to consider uh, what the medication does and, and what we try to do to the brain. One of the challenges is that we don't have bipolar disorder uh, down scientifically to be able to say, oh, this is exactly what's happening in the brain or this area of the brain. You know, that's still a little bit nebulous to us. But what we do know is that the brain is obviously going through cycles of excitation and depression. So we're going to treat that accordingly. And your doctor might uh, suggest certain things. So obviously one of the most obvious ones is what we call mood stabilizers. And those help stabilize the mood in different ways. We treat with lithium or Depakote or Lamictal. You might hear some of these names. And all these medications do in the brain is try to reduce the excitation and increase the relaxation or what we sometimes call inhibitory chemicals of the brain so that they can inhibit that brain from getting too excited and getting too out of control. It can be scary sometimes to take these medications because it's not like they don't come without side effects. Um, but then you got to weigh out what's more important in terms of the, the benefit of the medication and how out of control a person can be or the side effects that they might experience. Um, and it's important to talk to your, your physician about that. Uh, I don't want to get too much into the details because it's different for everybody. Uh, sometimes some people want to ask me, well, should my loved one take this or that? I'd have to really meet the person and analyze them because they, you want to take a look at the person individually to see which medication might be better for them than others. So we talked a little bit about mood stabilizers. Sometimes we might use medication called antipsychotics. Uh, Risperdal, Abilify, Geodon. These are just some of the brand names of these medications. And these help to reduce the dopamine levels. Yes, I call them antipsychotics, so we do use them when people uh, have psychosis or schizophrenia. But it's important to remember that during these manic episodes, when the brain is just going, 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 it can look very, very similar to a psychotic episode. And in fact, there are subdivisions of bipolar disorder. So we can further specify bipolar disorder, say with psychotic features or with depressive features, depending on what's being manifested. That's really how we tailor these medications in order to help the brain stabilize. And then I had mentioned earlier that it probably wouldn't be good to give an antidepressant to somebody um, 
if they're if they're going to go into a cyclic episode or if we know that they have bipolar disorder because that can actually produce uh, a manic episode. However, once a person is already on a mood stabilizer, then you can prescribe the antidepressant. Because remember, we're treating both manic episodes and depressive episodes, so we need to address all the symptoms. We just have to know what order to give the medication um, to the person in order to give them the best treatment possible to create the smoothest transition possible. One of the challenges with these treatments is that, like I had said earlier, if the person feels really good without the treatment, without the medication, they might not want to take it. They might really actually enjoy having that manic episode. The other issue is sometimes people will take these medications and feel really good and they'll get really stabilized and back into being able to work and function normally. And then they get frustrated and say, but if I'm already feeling normal, if I'm doing well, why would I need to take the medication anymore? I don't think I need to take it. I think that, you know, I'm doing fine and I take it off or, or stop taking it. So unfortunately, we don't have a cure for bipolar disorder. So usually what will happen is the person stops using the medication. They might be okay for a while. That's not to say but more likely than not, they're going to go back into either a depressive state or a manic state because the brain just kind of wants to function in that in that area. So I always encourage all my patients, once they get stable on medication, if they happen to have been in the hospital and then they come to the clinic and we're going to evaluate them and reestablish them um, in the outpatient setting, then it's appropriate to start to reduce medications in case that they needed a high level or high dose of medication to stabilize them in the hospital. Um, and we can start to do that. But I usually don't recommend stopping the medication to anybody because the medication truly is what's controlling the symptoms. One of the questions that comes up, however, because of what happened lately in the news and with a celebrity type status and somebody not feeling um, their best, but the celebrity really wanted to run for political office and, and be in a, in a position of, of authority in that sense. And one of the questions that comes up is, well, can somebody with mental disorder or mental illness or bipolar disorder actually have a, a position in office or can, can that be okay? And one of the things that I tell people is absolutely, it, it really depends on the person. Like I said, if they're taking their medication and for them the treatment is working well and they're feeling stable, then why not? They're doing really well as long as they're under treatment and they know that if they're not feeling well, they can have uh, um, you know adjustments to their medications and they stay in touch with their doctors and people around them know the situation. I always, I always give people who suffer from bipolar disorder hope. I tell them, as long as you're on your medication and you're feeling stable, that's great. And usually we know that based on their history. If we've seen them on medication and we've seen them do well and we've seen them stable, then I think that that's wonderful. That means that they can hold the job as long as they continue with their treatment. There are other situations where the person's bipolar disorder is so severe that even on medication, they might not be able to function uh, at a level where they can function in a professional setting or be appropriate in their interactions with people due to the mental illness, you know, hindering their brain and their, and their thought process. So these are things to consider individually. I would never tell somebody that they can't do something until we look at their history, until we look at how they function and are they willing to, con to continue with that treatment um, while they are working or while they are in a position of, of influence because that's obviously going to play a big role. It doesn't mean that a person can't do it necessarily, but we've got to look at this on an individual basis and we want to look at it um, on, a, on a case by case basis because we've got to make sure that everything is working well, that the person has a good insight into understanding their condition. Um, that being said, we're talking a lot about medication, 
But there is other things. There are other things that we need to consider when uh, we're talking about treatment. And one of them is really family support. The more support somebody has and the more willing they are to accept that support, that's already treatment in and of itself. Uh, There's things that can be done without medication. So family support, knowing that you have a network around you of people who care, can be very, very important. The other thing that you can do naturally if you have bipolar disorder is keeping the most stable schedule possible, which means holding to a, a, a very strict regimen of going to sleep and waking up. Sleep is key for anybody who's bipolar. We all know that we don't feel good if we're not sleeping well, if we had a bad night, uh, I wake up the next day, I'm not thinking as clearly. But if somebody's going through bipolar illness, they need to have their sleep because the brain needs that rest. If it doesn't get that rest, it can easily throw the person into a manic episode, into a psychotic episode. I've had a few patients come to me and say, Doc, you know, I I got this job offer. It's really good. I want to work as a security guard, but it's overnight. Um, And it's going to be really quiet. There's not going to be anybody around, but I do have to be awake all, you know, most of the night uh, um, to walk around the buildings and make sure the place is secure. I usually don't advise that kind of job. I, I I, I don't advise somebody take that because you're putting yourself at big risk in terms of your mental state. Even if you are taking your medication, you're making the brain vulnerable to a situation where you're not getting the rest that you naturally need. And that can be pretty hard. But when, again, when you, when you look at the risks and benefits, I always say your health is going to be more important because you might take that job for a little while. It might work for a little while. But if the bipolar disorder catches up to you, you're not going to be feeling good and you're going to lose that job anyway. You know, you're not going to be able to keep up with that. So keeping a strict schedule on sleep is important. Keeping a strict diet is important. And exercise is wholly important because it keeps the brain engaged. So that's one of the things that I always recommend is aside from the medication, aside from going to your treatment, having these natural things that you can do is very important because the brain really likes that. Another question that comes up is what about individual therapy? Well, individual therapy is important. Um, and that can actually be very helpful to somebody who has bipolar disorder because how disruptive is this to your life? You get this diagnosis and you start to wonder, well, what's going on? What's wrong with me? Why is it that my brain is doing this? And even the doctors don't know why they're doing it or why it's doing it, but they tell me to take all this treatment and this medication. Therapy can really help that out if the person has good insight. So if the person who's who's experiencing bipolar disorder, if you're experiencing bipolar disorder and you feel like, why is this the case, but I'm willing to work with it, I'm willing to do something about this, then therapy can be very helpful because it can be another source of support. Sometimes it's good to have family support. Well, it's always good to have family support, but sometimes within your family, you might not feel comfortable sharing certain things or discussing certain topics. And if you go to therapy, now you have a third party who has no other invested interest than in your mental health and your mental well-being. That is key and crucial in terms of being able to talk to somebody, to feeling comfortable with sharing things that you might not feel comfortable talking to your family about because you might be embarrassed or it just might be something private, something that you want to keep to yourself. These are, it's very important to remember the treatment for bipolar disorder can be threefold. Medication, natural remedies, and therapy. We'll talk more about bipolar disorder and the potential and how do we compare it with demonic possession when we come back.
Hi, this is Jesse Romero from the Terry and Jesse Show, also from Jesus 911. Let's face it, we all need to use the internet, but we need screen accountability. Why? Pornography is a huge problem, especially on the internet. And every time we tap into the internet, we get bombarded with images and temptations that degrade our humanity. So we need Covenant Eye to block these pornographic sites and advertisements from infiltrating our lives. Covenant Eyes helps us take custody of our eyes and custody of our intellect. So I recommend you go to CovenantEyes.com and type in the promo code, the NPR, to support the network. Protect yourself and your family from the eminent threats on the internet. www.CovenantEyes.com code BMPR live porn free thank you for listening to Virgin Most Powerful Radio thank you God bless you keep the faith This is Terry Barber. I want to thank you for your support here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Here's an easy way to do it. If you're going to sell or buy a house, call Real Estate for Life, 877-543-3871, because they're going to get you a Christ-centered agent to purchase your home or to sell your home. And at the close of escrow, a portion of his commission goes right back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Call 877-543-3871. Thank you so much for your support. Welcome back to the clinic, Virgin Most Powerful Radio family. As always, I encourage anybody who finds it in their heart and really feels that they're getting something good out of our radio programs to donate anything you can. Um, you know, if you can donate monetarily, that's great. If you can donate your prayers, that's great. Uh, keeping the message of Christ going is always in the end, in and of itself. And this is a great way that we can get that message out uh, to people who sometimes are feeling lonely or have no family members around or no support. Um, and I think that this, this radio station does just that, brings the message of Christ to, to all of our brothers and sisters out there. Um, we're talking today about bipolar disorder, and it's not an easy topic to discuss. Um, you know, it's not easy to diagnose to begin with in the clinic. And I think it can be a little, it can be even harder uh, when we know somebody or we have a family member who's suffering from it. How do we get them? How do we understand it? How do we get them help? Um, it's, it's not always a clear-cut answer. But I wanted to discuss a little bit, you know, working on a deliverance team and having uh, been called to this ministry of deliverance as well, why this can be very challenging in the spiritual life. And sometimes people confuse bipolar disorder with um, demonic possession or, or demonic influence. And it can be easily confused. It can be hard to distinguish one versus the other. 
I can uh, always relate a case, uh, which I, I always like to bring up the experiences that I've seen in clinic of people who come and ask for help. There was a case of a man one time, he was probably in his mid-40s, and he came for help uh, because he felt like he just was out of control and he wasn't exactly sure what to do. And one of his diagnoses was bipolar disorder versus psychosis. And as I started to get to know him more, this was his first visit, he was very embarrassed and he didn't really want to tell me what was going on, but I could tell that there was a whole lot of distress uh, for him. And so I got to know him a little bit and then we started talking. And one of the things that he started sharing um, when I asked him, well, why were you diagnosed with bipolar disorder and psychosis? This is before he even came to see me. Um, and he started to share his story. And he, he told me that one of the things that he was experiencing was hypersexuality. And I told him, well, what do you mean by that? What does that mean to you? It means different things to different people. And he said that he really couldn't control his thoughts. He couldn't control his thoughts as far as always leading to the impure. Um, he said he started off with just looking at a few pictures that were in magazines. It wasn't even necessarily an adult magazine, but just general magazines of models and whatnot. And these thoughts started to seed in his, in his mind. Um, and it progressed. It progressed from just seeing, say, people in bathing suits or whatnot to a little bit more intimate apparel to all of a sudden no clothing. And it just started kind of taking over his mind. And he, he really couldn't control it. Well, this is important to note because obviously I had mentioned earlier that when people are going through a manic episode, hypersexuality can be something that they're experiencing. It's this energy that just kind of takes over. Okay, so that was one of the um, issues he was experiencing. The other issue he was experiencing was that he was very irritable. And anytime anybody told him, you know, that he needed to change his plans or that he might not be right or to think in a different way, boy, he just really got upset. And that's one another classic symptom of of manic depression. Um, and then it can happen either in a depressive state or in the manic state. So irritability was there and we had to check that off the list. He was also experiencing um, thoughts that he said he couldn't control, which you know were more on the psychotic nature. He started having images of wanting to hurt uh, his family members. He had some nieces and nephews and he wanted to hurt them uh, physically. Uh, and these thoughts just kind of came out of nowhere and he wasn't sure where they came from. But this all happened after he started looking at the um, immoral pictures or the, the um, uh, you know, sexual type pictures and, and pornography. And he started getting all these ideas about hurting his family members. And the ideas started initially with just like physical violence, but he said that they also started to progress into more um, type, uh, uh, much stronger physical violence, not just using his hands, but all of a sudden maybe using a knife or using, uh, uh, you know, devices or, or even, uh, weapons to, to really cause hurt and pain, um, mostly to the kids in his family. He was looking at nieces and nephews and whatnot. Um, and this, all these thoughts brought him into depression and into a depressed state. So he said he couldn't control his thoughts. His thoughts kept coming at him. They were of the different natures. They were, you know, either hypersexual or violent. You know, the elements of psychosis, elements of mania intermixed with him getting depressed about this. So you can see how a lot of these characteristics, all of a sudden you're thinking to yourself, well, what am I treating here? What is it that you need help with? What do you need relief with? And you're having a pretty intense situation. At the same time, you're getting depressed. So is this a manic depressive type episode? Um, and on top of that, he was getting very anxious about this because he didn't like having this. He was very well aware of what was happening. By the time he came to see me, he had already seen a different psychiatrist. He was on antipsychotic medication, but it didn't really seem to be helping him much. 
And so I told them, okay, well, let's see. We need to reevaluate the medication, change your treatment. How can we best support you in this case? He was very open with his wife about this. Um, and, you know, she understood and she supported him and she, she was worried for him and she wanted to make sure he got better. So she came in and talked to me one time along with him and she said, you know, whatever you want to prescribe, whatever we need to do, um, let's go ahead and do that. He was also seeing a therapist, so he was glad that he could share some of these thoughts with the therapist and the therapist and I were uh, in communication about what was going on with him. But one of the challenging things about this case is that even though he was experiencing these symptoms of of, uh, uh, that could look like bipolar disorder, he wasn't improving at all with any medication treatment. And the wife assured me that he was adherent to the medication treatment. She said that she was there. She was, she worked with him to give him the medication. Um, you know, she reminded him when it was time to take the medication. She let him know that she didn't think any less of him because she knew that he was getting treatment. She felt that it could be different how she reacted if he didn't feel like he wanted to get treatment or if he didn't want to get better. Um, but he was really working with the situation. Given the nature of everything that he was going through, he had also mentioned to me, before I even mentioned it to him, that his wife had, had told him, why don't you go talk to a priest about this as well? Because it seems like you're going through some, some spiritual heartache. Um, he agreed with her. And after he talked to the priest, something very, very interesting happened. More about this when we come back. Ernesto from Long Beach. You know, I just wanted to comment, you know, and I just wanted to thank you guys. And I kind of wanted to encourage people that are listening, maybe that are not donating, you know, because honestly, I got to be honest, I used to think you guys were a little too over the top, time, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. You That's know, right. If God gave us a lot, you know, and I'm, I have the blessing of listening to all this, I just want to call all the people, you know, I got five kids, you know, and I don't make a lot of money, and I'm still donating to you guys. God bless you, brother. You're amazing. We gotta. We have to do this. We have to do the extra. And it's not even the extra. People see it like it's extra. Kneeling for communion, saying your rosary, saying the divine mercy chaplet. It is not extra. It's what the church tells us to do. Amen. You're a good man, brother. 30 years old, 29 years old, five kids, and I thank you guys. So everybody else, man, get on fire. Fight for the truth, man. I know what I'm telling you guys. There's I so love it. Out there. This is Terry Barber. I want to thank you for supporting Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And here's an easy way to support us by going to smile.amazon.com and type in Catholic Resource Center or Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And when you log in your Amazon account and you purchase products, a portion of it will go right back in supporting Virgin Most Powerful Radio. And it doesn't cost you a dime. I want to thank you ahead of time because that supports us year-round. May God bless you and your family. This is Terry Barber. I want to thank you for your support here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Here's an easy way to do it. 
If you're going to sell or buy a house, call Real Estate for Life, 877-543-3871, because they're going to get you a Christ-centered agent to purchase your home or to sell your home. And at the close of escrow, a portion of his commission goes right back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Call 877-543-3871. Thank you so much for your support. Welcome back to the clinic. Today we're talking about bipolar disorder. Not an easy topic to discuss because there's a lot associated with it. And before the break, I was discussing a case I had with a patient who really looked like he might have been suffering from bipolar disorder and had been treated for this. Um, but really there was also a, a spiritual element in there because the reason that he had started manifesting these symptoms of bipolar disorder and having out of control thoughts and hypersexuality and things of that nature was because he actually gave in to sin. He gave into the sin of impurity of looking at pictures and images that were not pure in nature. Um, and when we finished the lobby, right before the break, I mentioned that his wife had supported him and told him to go talk to a priest. He had been resisting this for a little bit, maybe because he was embarrassed, maybe because he just kind of wanted to go this to go away, all his symptoms to go away without necessarily involving too many people. He thought that the medication alone might be enough. Um, but sure enough, he went to go talk to a priest. Uh, I had seen him on, on one occasion. I had talked to his wife during that visit. He brought her. And we both agreed with her and said, you know, you are of the Catholic faith. And we believe that there's always the spiritual, physical, mental going on at the same time. And I encouraged him along with his wife, and I said, go talk to your parish priest. Why not bring this up, talk to him, and tell him what's going on, because this is affecting you probably spiritually as well. By the time he came back to see me, probably about three months later, he told me that he was no longer taking any medication for bipolar disorder. And I always said, gosh, I'm cautious when it comes to that, because bipolar disorder is usually lifelong. I can't guarantee that, um, you know, you're, you're going to be cured. But he explained something to me. He said, you know, I, I ended up going to the church. I ended up talking to my parish priest. And after I talked to him, I, I was discussing everything that was going on. And I told him how I hated how I was feeling. And, and I just didn't know how to control it. He offered me to do a confession. And the patient offered and said, or agreed and said, great. Okay, let's do the confession. He said that right after he had done the confession, everything went away. All the thoughts, all the turmoil. All the process, all this went away for him. He no longer experienced. He knew inside of him that he wasn't having this experience anymore. He had no desire to go look at anything immoral. Any thoughts that he had of uh, hurting his family members, of, of causing damage in any way, all that went away. He became very calm and peaceful inside when it came to that, but he realized he was still experiencing anxiety. So he didn't stop his anxiety medication. He said that that still continued for him, but that was a whole separate issue for him from all the other thoughts of, of impurity, all anything that appeared to be psychotic or manic. He said he felt peace right after he went to that confession. Now, keep in mind, that's not to say that he still didn't need help with his anxiety. and That's okay. Again, we're mind, spirit, and body all at the same time, so it can be happening all at the same time. He might have always had anxiety, and that still needed treatment. But all these things that were going on What's to say that that was not influenced by something different? What's to say that a confession, a spiritual um, uh, healing didn't take place in that case? And that's very important because we've got to remember 
that when we are in a situation where we start to develop thoughts that aren't compatible with our faith and we can give in to those thoughts, we can put ourselves in a vulnerable position where we can be influenced by the dark side. It's very easy to be influenced that way, whether it be we start giving into anger or wrath or immorality or anything along those lines. We have that power and that choice to say yes or no. In this case, he went to his parish priest and he started to feeling, feeling immediately better. Now, that's not to say that we're not going to continue to evaluate and see if any of these symptoms don't come back. Sometimes we can say, gosh, you know, somebody who's manic depressive can go on their whole lives and all of a sudden these symptoms will come and go and manifest sometimes and other times not. But the immediacy with which he felt better is not the most common. And to this day, this happened probably about, gosh, this was a long time ago, <laughs> but he's been okay. He hasn't experienced any of these things. Um, and this is important to note, because if he ever did experience this, would we treat him for psychosis? Would we treat him for bipolar again? Absolutely. I'm going to treat for whatever symptoms you're experiencing. But it's important to look at the source and what's causing these symptoms. This is important to note because there's a lot of elements that happen in this case. This man had opened himself up to having spiritual turmoil, but at the same time, he went and he talked to a priest. We all know that the priest takes the place of Christ right at the moment of confession, right at that moment of absolution. It's Christ who we speak to and Christ who forgives our sins. When we look at this, we see this in the scriptures all the time. And if we think of the scriptures as ancient texts, then we're missing something because even though they were written a long time ago, the scriptures themselves might be ancient texts, but Christ is not ancient. Christ is happening now. And the same things that he did back in the scriptures, he does for us now. At the same time, we cannot underestimate the influence of families. So during this last part of the talk, we've talked about bipolar disorder. We've talked about what the different symptoms are. We've talked about different potential treatments in terms of medicine and therapy and lifestyle. But we also have to look at there are certain things that we cannot underestimate as far as treatment goes. I want to turn to a couple of, of gospel readings um, to show what the spirituality, the influence of Christ and the family can have on mental health and healing. For this particular patient, we have to look at uh, the fact that his wife was supportive and she knew that he wasn't being the most pure chase, shall we say, in terms of what he was doing and what he was saying. There's a reading here that I wanted to look at um, because at that moment, she was a form of Christ for him. When she said, I know what you've been doing, but I want to get you help. I want to get you to the doctor. I want to get you to the priest. I want you back and I want you restored to where you were. And I don't care what it takes. That reminds me a lot of what Christ did for us right before his crucifixion, right as they were casting lots, right when he was in the middle of it. Um, I, I shouldn't say before, during the crucifixion. If we look at the Gospel of Luke, chapter 23, verse 34, um, what did Christ say? What happened in that moment? At that moment, the soldiers were casting lots for Christ's clothing. And all Christ said was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. Christ knows that when we're in a state where we're not in grace or where we're uh, not following him, we're blinded to a lot of things. We are in a situation where we're not thinking clearly. This is where family members can come in. And if we see somebody who has mental illness, whether it be a friend or a family member, and we know that they are not doing well and they're not in a state where they're thinking clearly, the best we can do is show the same compassion that Christ showed to us. 
we can say, Father, forgive him, for he knows not what he's doing. His wife wanted to get him help because she realized he was not in a good place. He was not thinking clearly. He was not himself. As family members, if we can be there for our loved ones, and if we can realize that in that moment, whether it be bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, depression, or anxiety, if we can show them compassion, if we can just stand in that room with them, if we can just ask them what they feel they need in that moment, that's very, very powerful in terms of the person knowing that they can be restored, that they can be brought back to themselves. We can never underestimate that. The support that we can show somebody um, is, is huge because a lot of times when a person does have a manic episode, they'll come down from that and then they'll have a depression. And if they did a whole lot of damage during that mania that they weren't aware of, when they come off of that manic episode and they look at the damage and they look at the destruction, that can be a pretty lonely place. They might need somebody there to help them. They might need somebody to help them pick up the pieces and let them know, yeah, you were not in a good place. And now this is a great reason why you should stay on your medication, continue your therapy. Look at what happens if you're not stable. These are important points to make, not because we're chastising the person, but because we're supporting them, because we're letting them know you didn't know what you were doing. And so I want to forgive you at this time and I want to help you out. That's not to say the person doesn't have to put in their part. They also have to take the steps to recognize where they're at and appreciate the support that they're getting. It can be an interesting dynamic, but when we can be there for somebody who's suffering from this, that's important. I speak to the family members because the persons who's going through this might feel very, very alone. For the person who might be experiencing these symptoms, we have to recognize that there's other people out there who are trying to help us, and hopefully we can get that help. What was important for this man who I was treating, turned out he might not have had bipolar disorder. turned out he might have had um, you know, more of a spiritual crisis. Uh, and in those moments, and this is for all of us, if we're having a spiritual crisis, we can't underestimate what Christ can do for us. The sacrament of confession, if we're feeling like we're far away from Christ to restore our grace. For that, I turn to a different gospel reading, also in the book of Luke. And let me read something for you. So this is a well-known gospel reading, and it's about the garrison demoniac. And this is when Christ came and he helped a young man who was possessed by, as they said, legion. And he told the demons to go into the swine nearby. Let's look at how they describe the man, though. We know what Christ did. We know Christ liberated him. But the man was described as, for a long time, not having worn any clothes. He did not live in a house, but he lived among the tombstones. We know how the story goes. Christ comes to him and finds out that he's possessed and tells the demons to go into the swine and they go away. And then the important part is to look at how is he described, how is this young man described afterwards? So initially the man is not wearing any clothes, he didn't live in a house, he was living among the tombstones. And afterwards, it says that after the devils had departed, sitting at his feet dressed and in his full senses. So now the young man is now dressed and in his full senses. This is very, very important to note because whether it be we're going through a mental illness crisis or whether we're going through a spiritual crisis, at that moment, we're not fully clothed and we're not in our full senses. We can be Christ-like to people if we can show some compassion and walk with them in this journey. And as soon as these demons go, whether they be mental illness or, or spiritual crisis, 
then all of a sudden we can help restore the person to the fullness of their dignity. We can help the person be clothed again in compassion. We can help them be clothed again in front of Christ and in front of our family members and each other. It's important to note that in the Bible, when it talks about being clothed, it's about being restored back to our our human nature, to our true uh, um, dignity uh, as God gives it to us. There's another gospel reading where we see that the person is clothed again. And if we recall this one, this was in the prodigal son. When the father saw him from far off, he told his servants to go and to clothe them and to put his ring back on him. We notice that being clothed again is very important. When are, when are we not clothed? We feel naked. When we're going through mental illness, if we're, if we're vulnerable, we're going to feel naked. If we're going through a spiritual crisis and we haven't made the best choices for ourselves, we're going to feel naked. We're going to feel naked before Christ. It's akin to when Adam and Eve recognized that they were naked. They, weren't, they didn't worry about that before. They didn't have a sense that they weren't clothed before. But all of a sudden, after a fall, there was a loss of dignity. This is not to say that mental illness is equivalent to sin. This is to say that we can be there for people when they're feeling vulnerable, whether it be through a spiritual crisis or through a mental health crisis. I think when it comes to bipolar disorder, it can be very tricky because the person going through a manic episode or a depressive episode, they might not know what's going on. They might not know what's happening. Um, And it's important to remember that if we can show that compassion, if we can stop and ask the questions, whether it be a family member, a therapist, psychiatrist, that's our job. That's kind of what we do for each other. We support each other. And it's very important to remember that this doesn't mean that the person can't function. Once a person does get the treatment that they need, if they're taking the medication that's appropriate, they can fully function in society. They can be in a position where they can hold any job that they need to hold. Not to say that they're not going to need to continue the medication, but it's important to note that they can be fully, fully clothed in their dignity. Anytime it comes to mental health, I always like to make sure that we take the topic slowly and that we talk about it um, individually and recognize that each person um, has a different experience because it can be very hard to talk about this broadly and really attach it to everybody. One of the things um, about mental illness is that there can be a lot of stigma with it. And the stigma is usually because we don't really know what's going on if we've never experienced it, if we haven't seen it for ourselves, if we've uh, never had a family member who's experienced it, or even when they do, we can get scared and we don't know what's going on and we wonder, why are they going through these changes? Why is it that this person's acting this way? And it might make us want to retreat. It might make us want to get away. And that's a normal uh, experience. That's a normal reaction because it can be scary to see somebody who's in a position where they don't know exactly what's going on. If you experience that kind of fear or that kind of distancing from somebody who is experiencing mental illness, it's okay. What I would encourage you to do is learn a little bit more about it. Ask more questions about it. See what that person is experiencing. Try to have that compassion that Christ had to say, I wonder what's going on with them because they are not thinking clearly. A lot of family members ask me, well, what can I do when, they, when my loved one doesn't want to take medication? I had a, a few patients who were uh, bipolar who chose not to take medication and they enjoy their manic episodes. And to those family members, again, I say the most important thing is patience because we have to hopefully be there for this person and we have to hopefully 
help them to see that they do much better when they are on their medication and when they are on their treatment. I always encourage people to consider safety first. If you're ever in a situation where you feel like you're not safe, whether it be your family member or your friend or anybody or a stranger on the street who might not know what's going on and might put you in a situation of danger or might become violent, which can happen, we always encourage you to call the proper authorities to get them the help that they need because, again, in that moment, they might not know what's going on and they might do things that they normally wouldn't. And that can be really scary. I never want anybody to put themselves in the face of danger. That's not compassion at that point. We've got to make sure that we're safe. But once we do that, it's important to follow through. And if the person, say, does get hospitalized, that can be scary. Well, let's find out what's going to happen during that hospitalization. Are they going to get their medication adjusted? It's great to talk to the doctors. Usually most doctors will be happy to talk to the family members and let them know what's going on. Um, the hospitalization doesn't have to be a scary place. It doesn't mean that somebody's going to be there for a long time either. You know, a lot of times family members worry that their loved one's going to be in the hospital and then they're never going to come out. Most hospitalizations are there to help stabilize a person, to help restore them, to help get them back to feeling like themselves, and to provide the appropriate medication that they're going to need in that moment. Following that hospitalization is where it gets important to continue the follow-through. I encourage anybody who's going through this, go continue your medication, continue your help with your psychiatrist, with your therapist, with anybody who's going to be helping you out. And to family members, keep that compassion. Remember, we can be Christ-like to each other. If we're going through a spiritual crisis, always a good idea to talk to our priest. doesn't necessarily mean that we're going through a mental illness, but it is a good idea to always take care of ourselves, body, mind, and spirit. If you have any further questions about bipolar disorder, its treatment, or what you can do for a family member, feel free to reach out to a psychiatrist, a therapist, or a mental health professional. And in that, hope you have a good day and a blessed rest of the week. St. Faustina's Prayer for Priests O my Jesus, I beg thee on behalf of the whole Church, grant it love and the light of thy Spirit, and give power to the words of priests, so that hardened hearts might be brought to repentance and return to thee, O Lord. Lord, give us holy priests. Thou thyself maintain them in holiness. O divine and great High Priest, May the power of thy mercy accompany them everywhere and protect them from the devil's traps and snares, which are continually being set for the souls of priests. May the power of thy mercy, O Lord, shatter and bring to naught all that might tarnish the sanctity of priests. For thou canst do all things. Amen. Virgin Most Powerful, pray for us. Virgin Most Powerful Radio, sharing the gospel with clarity and charity.